You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. Your host is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. The antiarrhythmic armamentarium has been expanded to include dronetarone, which was recently approved by the FDA for the treatment of atrial fibrillation. How safe and how efficacious is dronetarone compared to the other antiarrhythmic agents, and how should you use it? Our guest today is Dr. Sanjay Call. Dr. Call is Director of the Vascular Physiology and Thrombosis Research Lab at the Burns and Allen Research Institute at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. Dr. Call, it's a pleasure to welcome you to Heart Matters. Well, thank you. Let's talk about atrial fib first. When I got out of medical school and even out of my cardiology fellowship, we treated atrial fib with DIG and diuretics. Those days are over. Yes, indeed. We have many other agents that are available to us for treating atrial fibrillation. Before we go into the therapies that are available for managing patients with atrial fibrillation, just a little background on what is atrial fibrillation and what is the magnitude of disease burden in the United States. Now, atrial fibrillation is a common arrhythmia, which is essentially a disordered rhythm that involves the upper chambers of the heart, the atria. It's one of the most common sustained arrhythmia in the United States. It affects nearly 2.5 million patients, and it accounts for nearly half a million of all patient discharges with arrhythmia as a principal diagnosis. And what is interesting is that the incidence of atrial fibrillation increases with each decade of age, affecting nearly 6% of people over the age of 65. And it's been estimated that over 75,000 patients die each year from the complications of atrial fibrillation or its sister arrhythmia called atrial flutter. So it's not surprising that given the burden of this arrhythmia on morbidity, mortality, and healthcare resources that the Obama's American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, the so-called ARA Act of 2009, lists it as the top priority amongst the 100 priorities for comparative effectiveness research. That was a beautiful overview, Sanjay. Breaking down the management of atrial fib, there are two big buckets of approach. We can go rate control or rhythm control. Maybe you could talk a little bit about those two choices. Yes. Uh, rhythm control is a strategy in which antiarrhythmic drugs are used along with electrical cardioversion when necessary to sort of restore or shock the rhythm back into normal sinus rhythm. And a rate control strategies in which there are no specific efforts made to maintain sinus rhythm, but the goal is to slow down the ventricular response rate. That's the key goal. And there are, I think, about four, the latest count, four randomized control trials that have essentially failed to establish superiority of one strategy or the other. There are some trials that demonstrate that both these strategies are effective in reducing symptoms and improving the quality of life. But as far as mortality and major serious irreversible morbidity is concerned, it's a toss-up. Well, into that context comes a drug called dronetarone, recently approved by the FDA, Talk to us about the specific approval. Dronetarone has been approved to reduce cardiovascular hospitalizations related to atrial fibrillation or flutter 
in a restricted patient population, that is, low to intermediate risk patients with current or previous history of non-permanent atrial fibrillation, but without advanced or recently decompensated heart failure. I think that the second part is key because the pivotal trial upon which the FDA approved the drug was called the Athena study. And the Athena study was essentially designed to define a population in which dronetarone may be safely used because the preceding trial called the Andromeda trial in which high-risk patients that were uh, vulnerable patient population that included patients with destabilized heart failure or advanced heart failure, that trial had to be prematurely stopped because of increased mortality related to worsening heart failure, arrhythmia, or sudden death. So that trial was stopped in 2003. And then the sponsors went back to the FDA. The FDA advised them that they perhaps should design a different study, perhaps enroll a lower-risk patient population. And that's what exactly happened in Athena. They enrolled patients, which was at lower risk. They did include patients with class 2 and class 3 congestive heart failure, somewhat advanced heart failure, but not advanced to the extent that was enrolled in the previous, the Andromeda study. And more importantly, they did not enroll patients with recently destabilized or severely advanced heart failure. And what they observed in the trial was a 24% reduction in the risk for cardiovascular hospitalization or all-cause mortality. Now, the primary endpoint in Athena was this combined endpoint of cardiovascular hospitalization or all-cause mortality. But this primary endpoint was essentially driven by impact on cardiovascular hospitalization, not so much on all-cause mortality. And that is the reason why the FDA only allowed a claim to reduce cardiovascular hospitalization, but not all-cause mortality. That's very helpful. You made me think this has been a drug in search of a population. Yes. Essentially, when they got a non-approvable letter after the Andromeda trial, the FDA specifically asked the sponsor to define a population in which dronetarone might be safely used. So essentially, it's a lower to intermediate risk population. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright, and our guest today is Dr. Sanjay Call. Dr. Call's Director of the Vascular Physiology and Thrombosis Research Laboratory at the Burns and Allen Research Institute at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. We're discussing the role of dronetarone as an antiarrhythmic for atrial fibrillation management. Sanjay, in a wonderful article on which you are an author in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, you reviewed the clinical trials that looked at the impact of dronetarone on various endpoints. Can you review those for us? There are two broad categories of trials. The first category is the trials that have addressed antiarrhythmic efficacy of dronetarone. And again, there are two subcategories, one that look at the efficacy of dronetarone in suppressing recurrence of atrial fibrillation or atrial flutter. And there have been four such trials. And the bottom line is the dronetarone has 50% efficacy compared with placebo that has about 25% efficacy in suppressing recurrence of atrial fibrillation or atrial flutter. 
So that comparatively sounds superior to placebo, but when you compare it to the historical gold standard, which is the amiodarone, amiodarone is 75% more effective. So relative to the gold standard amiodarone, it's only half as effective in suppressing recurrence of atrial fibrillation. Now, there's another second category of antiarrhythmic efficacy as measured by the ability to control ventricular rate. And there was one study in which patients with permanent atrial fibrillations were enrolled, and dronetarone had efficacy in controlling rate. And then in these four additional studies, which I talked about previously, dronetarone was also able to control ventricular rate. So in aggregate, when you look at the overall evidence, dronetarone has the ability to control both rhythm and rate in patients with atrial fibrillation. Like, But however, as I mentioned before, the antiarrhythmic efficacy is quite modest compared with placebo and only half as effective compared to imiodarone, the gold standard. This is the broad category of antiarrhythmic efficacy. The second category is the safety outcomes with a hard clinical outcomes. And as I mentioned earlier, there have been two major safety studies, the Andromeda where in sort of doubled mortality and it was prematurely stopped. And the second one is the Athena study, the pivotal trial upon which the FDA was able to approve this medication. So that, in a nutshell, is the overall evidentiary support for the use of Dronandor. Sanjay, I'd love for you to advise our listeners. I usually like to do this on two levels. Advice to practitioners, both docs and nurses, in taking care of patients with atrial fibrillation. And then the listeners out there, many of whom may be cardiovascular or primary care professionals who have atrial fibrillation or their family members do. So on two levels, advice to patients and advice to professionals. Right. Well, let me just start off with the advice to the professionals. The American College of Cardiology, along with its counterpart, the American Heart Association and the European Society of Cardiology, came up with guidelines uh, for atrial fibrillation in 2006. I think that's the latest iteration. They have a very nice algorithm uh, for where different therapies fit, depending on what the underlying conditions are. And obviously, dronetarone was not approved at that time. And so what we have tried to do is see where dronetarone can fit into that in management algorithm for atrial fibrillation. Patients who do not have any heart disease or who have minimal heart disease or who have hypertension and with very little impact, the degree of left ventricular hypertrophy or thickness of the walls is very minimal, then flaconide propafenone and sotalol have a very good benefit-risk profile. They should be first-line. Amiodarone is considered to be second-line, followed by dofetilide. And I believe that dronetarone could be a useful option in patients who have efficacy either against the first-line or second-line, but somehow cannot tolerate it. That's a key point. It's only if Patients respond to the first or second line but are unable to tolerate should dronetarone be considered an option. If patients cannot respond to the first or second line, then they're unlikely to respond to dronetarone. That's the reason why we feel that it's best suited as a second line or a third line option. Patients who have significant left ventricular hypertrophy, clearly amiodarone is the treatment of first choice and dronetarone can be a second choice there. 
Patients who have coronary artery disease and ischemia, dofetilide and sotalol are guideline recommended first line, followed by imiodarone as second line. We believe that dronetarone could be a reasonable alternative to imiodarone or these first line therapies, especially if there is poor tolerability with these drugs. Patients with heart failure, if they are advanced heart failure or recently destabilized heart failure, should not receive dronetarone. And accordingly, it's a boxed warning by the FDA. They are essentially not recommended. Imiodarone and dofetilide are guideline recommended therapies in these patients. Patients who have less advanced or stable heart failure, then imiodarone and dofetilide are first line, but dronetarone could be considered as a second line, again, in patients who cannot tolerate these therapies. So this is my advice to the professionals. With regards to the advice to the patients, of course, the decision to take one medication over the other should be predicated on the clinical judgment of the physician, but that has to be modified by patient preferences. If the patient is young patient, then more likely than not, the patient would want to have a rhythm control strategy. And if rhythm control strategy is the dominant strategy, then I would argue that, again, depending on the underlying conditions, dronetarone could be tried as a second line. My first line would still be what the guideline recommended therapies are, or even beta blockers, which are more commonly used in Europe. If the patient is an older individual and would rather settle for a rate control strategy, then I don't see dronetarone as being a first-line or a second-line agent. I think it's important to not oversell the safety advantage of dronetarone and at the same time not understate its only modest efficacy. Personally, given its modest antiarrhythmic efficacy and lack of well-established safety advantage, a huge cost disadvantage, imiodarone is generic. Dronetarone costs somewhere between 4 to $5 per day. And the lingering controversy of the rhythm versus rate control strategy, it's hard for me to see its role as a first-line therapy. And I think, you know, with all the caveats that I mentioned, it best fits as a second or a third line drug in the antiarrhythmic armamentarium for treatment of atrial fibrillation or atrial flutter. We've been talking with Dr. Sanjay Call about the role of dronetarone as an antiarrhythmic therapy for atrial fibrillation. Dr. Call, thank you so much for being our guest today. Well, thank you. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.